Welcome into the Power Hour. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. It's an exciting week in Western New York as the Toronto Blue Jays have now called Salem Field home. The Blue Jays, after spending the first two months of the home portion of the regular season down in Dunedin, Florida, have moved north and will use Salem Field as their home base for the foreseeable future. And we thought it'd be a good opportunity to find out how the first two months of the season have gone for Toronto. And to do that, one of the familiar voices to many of you Bison fans, Ben Wagner from Sportsnet in Toronto, will join us later on in the podcast to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, their success this season, also some of the young surprises that have been called up from AAA Buffalo to enjoy success in the big leagues as well. The Bisons are now one month into the regular season. We'll tell you where they stand in the AAA East Northeast Division standings. A big week this past week, taking on one of the top teams, not only this season, but for the last several seasons, the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. The Bisons will now get ready to host Syracuse this coming week. We'll set that matchup up for you later on here in the Power Hour. As we mentioned, Salem Field is now the home of the Toronto Blue Jays. That was the home for Toronto last summer when the Blue Jays needed a place to play because of COVID-19 and the border restrictions between the United States and Canada. You'll remember last summer, fans were not allowed in the stands due to COVID-19 protocols, but that has since changed. Nearly half the seats in Salem Field will be filled with fans as the Blue Jays welcome in the Miami Marlins for a two-game series as part of a five-game, six-day homestand in downtown Buffalo. The second straight year, the Blue Jays will call Salem Field home. And for several players, that means a homecoming once again, having played many AAA games as a member of the Buffalo Bisons in their Blue Jays tenure. It will also mean the first time that these players will see a lot of the changes that have taken place at Salem Field as part of the multi-million dollar renovations, not only of the clubhouse area on the service level of the ballpark, but also the bullpen areas and also a lot of other amenities, including batting cages and many things that will make Buffalo the destination for AAA baseball for many years to come when the Blue Jays are able to go back to Toronto and the Bisons return to Salem Field. This past week also meant the Major League debut of Alec Manoa, the Blue Jay prospect, one of the top right-handers in all of minor league baseball. Three starts with Buffalo this season, three victories, nearly 30 strikeouts, an impressive Major League debut that was delayed by rain one day. The big right-hander did not allow a rainout in the Bronx, affect his confidence and his abilities. And that's where we start with our friend Ben Wagner as we check in here on the Power Rally. I chatted with Ben not only about the Toronto Blue Jays, but also the recent success of Alec Manoa. Well, Ben, thanks for taking a couple of minutes today to join us. Uh, good to catch up with you as always. I know the last uh, year or so has been quite interesting and it's been a while, but uh, good to finally chat with you again. Yeah, it's great to see you again, Pat. Wish uh, the Bisons were back at Salem Field, but I think this is a nice runner up uh, for, for people in Western New York to watch more Major League Baseball and actually get to watch it with a chance to go into the ballpark this season. Yeah, we figured with, with the Blue Jays getting set to take over Salem Field starting today, you'd be the perfect person to talk to about the Blue Jays. And I guess we'll talk about Salem Field and what it means in a moment, but we have to start with the news of the week and Alec Manoa uh, just lighting the, the Major League Baseball world on fire in the Bronx this week. Uh, you know, what were your expectations maybe of Manoa and how do they exceed them? I don't know if it's the ripple effects of the last four days since his major league start or perhaps the last four months in anticipation of his first major league start. 
And for me, that that's where it starts. You know, you go back to that first outing in spring training. They gave him a matchup against the New York Yankees. And Blue Jays didn't exactly take their A squad to Tampa that night. But you were really intrigued to watch Simeon Woods Richardson, Jordan Groshans, Logan Warmuth, and, of course, Alec Manoa, who's just within two years after being drafted and kind of what his mound presence would look like because nobody had seen him outside of small sample size in Vancouver. And those are just tiny little clips. We'd not gotten to see the whole Alec Manoa experience and boy, was it ever an experience. And what we saw in Tampa in late February through March, because most of his meetings in spring training were against the Yankees uh, is exactly what people saw in the Bronx. Um, A very powerful individual, a guy that could block out the sun wearing 17 uh, size 17 cleats and all the confidence that comes along with it. Uh, power fastball, a uh, nice little sinker, the wipeout slider, which he featured. Um, and he had a pretty balanced mix of pitches. So uh, hopefully he gets back on the mound in Buffalo and displays the same stuff because this is, this was out of character a little bit for, in my opinion, this is my opinion, but what we had seen going all the way back to 2013 with the Blue Jays, they kind of let all those prospects simmer in the minor leagues and establish not just a couple of dominant outings or pockets of play if you're a position player, but they were they were like challenging these prospects to force their hand. And uh, I was really surprised. I was really surprised that he went to AAA, uh, really surprised, honestly, how quickly they pointed at him to be the guy coming up to the big leagues. But there was a need, and that's exactly why Buffalo exists, right, to fill those needs, and they needed to cover innings, and the man answered the bell, and it was great. And to me, he's one of those players that, without there being games in 2020, and Alec Manoa was at the alternate training site in Rochester last year, so he got a chance to to continue his progression somewhat, but what would 2021 mean for a lot of these prospects, and I think even guys like Thomas Hatch or Nate Pearson, who probably would have started the year in 2020 in Buffalo, were thrust into the big leagues last year. In Manoa's case, probably would have been a, a double layer uh, sooner rather than later. Instead, ends up in triple A after, like you mentioned, just six appearances in Vancouver in 2019. And now we have a big leaguer who doesn't seemingly miss a beat. And that was, to me, like I said, I don't know about you, but that was one of the interesting elements, I thought, going into 2021. You know, it's interesting. Maybe Josh Palacios, who's playing in the outfield uh, a ton, but now is on the injured list with a busted hand and will be back later on this summer, put it the best, though, in spring training because he looked back at spring training and that kind of morphed challenge that the alternate training site was for them in 2020 and then rolled into 2021 while they were waiting to get off the ground this season as confidence booster, essentially, where you could go in every day and just focus on getting better. You didn't have to stare at a big video board and look at you know challenging numbers sometimes. You didn't have to go into Toledo and hear the PA system say, he's the strikeout man of the game. Or hear wah, 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 wah in Lehigh Valley, you know, every time somebody gets punched out. Like those annoying little things that would happen to, to Bison players were cast aside. And literally they would check in at their assigned time they would go out there, they would work with Devo, they would work with Jeff Ware, they would work on whoever the coach was that day on a specific thing. And that specific thing at the end of the day was to just get better and craft those skills. And that's what player after player, pitcher after pitcher came away with for that time in Rochester slash Buffalo and now uh, here in Dunedin over the last couple of months 
walked away with and they continue to echo it. And they use that kind of as a momentum shift then to where the Blue Jays said, okay, now we need these guys to compete. And I remember having a conversation with Gil Kim, who's on the major league staff, but still oversees everything that happens on the minor league side. And they really believe more than, more than anything this year that getting guys back for competition would be the next logical step. And that, that of course is ultimately what you wanna see because then that translates and reaffirms all of your, your progress, right? But, uh, but to see that and to see the challenges and the different layers as well with the individual prospects, I thought was a really cool thing. It sounds like four years removed from the International League, you still haven't forgotten many of those game day promotions that uh, <laughs> we came to know and love and our friends down in Gwinnett or in Louisville or Indy and all those uh, sites in between. Uh, seared in the back of my mind, Pat. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, uh, I cannot... No matter how hard I try, I cannot wash them away. <laughs> <laughs> but I mentioned Alec Manoa right at the outset, and you know maybe the surprise of how well he pitched, uh, not, not because he pitched well, but how early is he is in his career. But what are maybe some of the other surprises through pretty, pretty much two months of the season, but whether it be good or bad, uh, that you've seen out of the Blue Jays that you've liked and maybe things that uh, you did not expect so far? Well, it's talking specifically about the big club. Um, you cannot start any conversation around the Toronto Blue Jays without starting that conversation with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, what he has continued to excel offensively and do to the baseball has been impressive. And I'm not just talking about OPS, the home run total, and he's among the elite in, in those categories, but he is recognizing pitches when it's in the pitcher's hand. And that kind of conviction, the strike zone is something that you know, we had heard about when we were in Buffalo, you got to witness when you were in Buffalo and kind of this blossoming prospect, whenever he would go to the major leagues, would it translate immediately? And he, you know what? I mean, he went through the ringer. He went through the ringer emotionally um, on a, on a professional and personal level. And he made himself, you know, rededicate to the craft. And we are seeing every bit of the fruits of the labor, not only from a physical standpoint, but now the mental conviction and confidence to go out there and play as well. And I've said this a lot. I said this, you know, Vladdy always will have fun, but a confident and ha fun happening Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a dangerous Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And this is the kind of player that we're seeing. So, you know, that's, that for me is where it starts with the Blue Jays. And then if you look at this lineup, albeit without George Springer having a, but a small sample size of an impact when the regular season happened, it's a dangerous lineup, and we have seen when it really gets going. And it wasn't going, remember? People forget, like, the first 15 games or so, there was a lot of question whether or not this would be the juggernaut offense or the depth that the Blue Jays were expecting. Uh, but once the cylinders finally started, started going, when Marcus Simeon got it going, Bo got it going, that 50 to 75 at bat range, uh, everybody has taken off. And Vladdy's right there in a legit spot in the batting order where he has to be a presence. He has to have meaningful and significant at-bats, and he's doing that with the protection of Teoscar Hernandez and others. So, um, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is really important and will continue to be very important to the drive of this batting order. And then the other surprises for me, Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz. Um, Hinjun Ryu is outstanding. We expect that. Uh, that's why you went out and you challenged the contract. You asked the pitcher to be the pitcher that he is. I don't think that's a surprise because that's what you also have seen in this career as well as long as you stayed healthy. 
but Robbie Ray's turnaround and command of the strike zone, along with Steven Matz and his middle fortitude on top of just his overall presence on the bump, they give the Blue Jays a shot anytime those three guys go out there. And that's really important for any sort of sustained success that the Blue Jays could potentially have. And now if they can fill a number four with them and Noah, wait on Thomas Hatch to come up or whoever uh, and round out that rotation, that'd be really, really important for them. Back to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for just, just a moment. And you mentioned his offensive side, and that is something you're right, we saw here in Buffalo. One thing we didn't really see challenged, I know the biggest question I was always asked was the defensive side of the game at third base, it was at the time. Now moving over to first mainly, um, it seems like not only has the weight helped uh, in, for Vladdy getting in better shape at the plate, but defensively uh, is a position that the question marks are seemingly gone now that he is uh, in such a good physical condition. He is uh, unheralded, honestly, for how well he has translated his defensive prowess from one corner to the next. And you knew it would be an obstacle. And, um, you know, we've seen the challenge with other other even less of significant prospects or players, you know, try to move over to first base and figure out the footwork and, you know, the right timing with things. Uh, I remember a conversation with Charlie and Louie, and they believed that he could make the transition because his hands were so good, even at third base. They thought that that would be the starting point for Vladdy, the soft hands to handle the short hops, um, you know, to handle the reads, whether it's coming off a bat or out of somebody's arm, second base, shortstop, third base. Uh, the physical features of Vladdy and dropping the weight, of course, have just allowed him to be more athletic, be way more nimble, and to just handle the workload of playing first base. And he's on his feet a lot, and he's also on base a lot. So there was some question on how much load management that you would need, and that's why you're going to see a pocket maybe of consecutive days with Vladdy going to DH. Uh, but that's by design because he's on his feet, he's moving around so much. But the next step of him moving around at first base is also realizing how he's moving around first base. And that's been the biggest jump for me because he's not ranging too far to his right anymore. He understands how guys are shifted around and he's not with that conviction of a third baseman, like see ball, go get ball. And that's a completely different scenario now that he's on the right side of the diamond. And he has made incredible strides. One, just handling the pressures of making the transition first base the fundamentals that go with it and just the overall confidence when playing the, the base and that is a credit to one person and that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he worked on the physical aspect of it his flexibility of it and he just looks like a completely different defender when he's over there and we'll see those talents on on hand in person uh, very soon here at Salem Field on uh, just a matter of hours uh, we know the first two months of the season with all the changes going on in downtown Buffalo and the weather too, uh, you know, you know, just as well as anybody, April in Buffalo can always be a mixed bag. So how was the reception, not only from the players about playing, continuing to play in Dunedin after spring training, but to have fans back in the stands and, you know, th those interactions between the players and the fans and how did those first two months really, uh, do you think, go between not only the players, but with the fan base as well. Well, I, you know, you have to ask the other fan bases. I, I, got, I got an incredible opportunity to be in Dunedin and witness it all firsthand from the dugout. And the Blue Jays have yet to play a home game. So that's my challenge to Western New York. And I know a ton of the tickets are being sold specifically in Western New York. So embrace this ball club. Heck, you've, you're, you've been familiar with so many of these guys anyways, because they played in Buffalo uniforms. 
but embrace this ball club because they desperately need a home game and they desperately need a home atmosphere. And the Blue Jays just weren't afforded that because this pocket of Florida is full of transplants. And you look at the way the schedule broke out and you expected some skewed crowds, but overwhelmingly the Rays series was packed with Rays fans. Next in line in the charge was Atlanta and then Philadelphia. And then of course you had the smattering of Red Sox fans. Um, so what was it? Eight different, 10 different series and half of them, you know, were significant fan bases taking over the, the ticket sales in Dunedin. Uh, that, that's where the atmosphere, you know, was very challenging for a Blue Jay perspective. And they were ready to get out of that atmosphere. And it was a ballpark that played very, very small. Even though the Blue Jays put up incredible numbers and doing different things and had some really dramatic wins, it was a ballpark that you were never comfortable with a lead even at five runs, getting into that seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Uh, you had your own adversity with Mother Nature. Uh, it was a schedule that started with game times at 6.30. They eventually bumped them back twice to get to a 7.30 first pitch because of the challenges of the sinking sun and twilight. And the left side of the diamond was in the blast furnace with a lot of that and the challenges there. So there are a number of just different things that the Blue Jays will happily leave in the sunny palm palm tree lined streets of Dunedin and, and be thankful that they arrive in Western New York. Uh, but a couple of things they want to take with them too, because they changed their batting approach at the plate to play to the ballpark a little bit, even though it was overall an emphasis that's existed the last couple of years. I think this approach that the Blue Jays are preaching, letting the ball travel, be okay driving it the opposite way or corner to corner in the alleys. This this magnified the impact that it could have playing in this ballpark. And I think it would translate really well to being at Salem Field. And I know it's going to translate well if they ever are available to take it to Rogers Center. And right-handed hitters with authority being able to drive the ball the opposite way would be a big, big lift for this ball club. And once the players uh, take the field here at Salem Field, I know things will look just a little bit different. Not only will they look different uh, in terms of the clubhouse, which we'll talk about in a second, but you know something we're familiar with in the minor leagues, the bullpens being in foul territory are going to be moved out to right center field, a brand new construction of the double tiered bullpens. Um, so there's been a lot of work that's gone on at Salem Field. What did the players maybe say about their time in Buffalo last year and things they're expecting or the advantage they might have having played not only as a Blue Jay, but maybe as a Bison in the past uh, here in Buffalo? Uh, well, they recognized first and foremost the, the amount of energy it took from the Blue Jays front office in concert with the, with the remaining staff that were left to, working in the front office you know, during the shutdown in Buffalo to, to make the transition uh, as significant as it was, but also in the time frame that it was. And a younger club could get through kind of these ebbs and flows and I think adjust way more easily than what a veteran club in Major League Baseball regardless of the landscape, pandemic or not, uh, I think a more veteran and grizzled ball club would not be able to succeed the way that the Blue Jays were. A lot of it comes from being familiar with Western New York and playing in the International League. If these players weren't specifically Blue Jay farmhands, coming through Buffalo made a big impact. So you're familiar you know, with the surroundings. And if you're familiar with the ballpark, that can make you very comfortable in a number of ways. Uh, now, take it a step further. What would make this experience better? improve the lights, add a couple of more light standards. The, the lighting aspect of it will make a massive change uh, because there is a big 
difference between the grades at the different levels. Uh, and Dunedin had its own obstacles with the lighting as well. Don't get me wrong here. And, and in fact, the lights, lights in Buffalo were pretty good last year. They're going to be that much better uh, this year in talking with a number of the players and the people in the Blue Jays office. So uh, the enhancements, and I've heard the price take somewhere between nine and $10 million at the end of the day. That is a significant investment for a lot of question marks on how long the major league team will be playing in Western New York. But the benefit at the end of the day will have ripple effects through the organization for the next 10, 15 years, right? Um, plus the fan experience. When you go to Western New York or, or wherever, traveling through to watch a Bisons game, uh, I think, you know, it may not be a great fan experience because, oh, good, you have a cool batting tunnel. Um, but once you're in the ballpark and you see some of the additions and the kind of a new look, it's, it's going to be a different experience for a long time buys and season ticket holders. When you look at a new outfield wall, a new landscape, uh, you know, in the old power alley pub uh, or those changes that happen in right center field with the party deck and, and all those things. So, uh, you know, I think the players overall are happy with what they have heard. They're anxious to experience it at the same time. And because of relaxed protocol, Calls and just major league baseball operating at different things. There are families that are going to be in Western New York for the first time and in downtown Buffalo. Uh, many of the players electing not to live in a hotel. They've grabbed apartments or Airbnbs. So their experience uh, for a short time or however long this lasts. And that's always a big question mark. However long this lasts, right? Uh, their experience living as a Buffalonian will be much different than it would ever have been if they were coming through uh, just playing for the Bisons. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing once uh, once it's all said and done. Uh, I know some of the I've seen some of the work, but uh, not able to see the finished product of what the new clubhouse looks like. And last year it was, you know, the, and the timeline was so compressed and everything happened so quickly that, you know, the, the fact that you had two clubhouses combined to one in a temporary setting was OK. But now this year with the as you mentioned, the renovations and the, and the changes, a more permanent updated clubhouse. I'm excited to hear what the players have to say about that and just how that makes um, their experience um, more beneficial, uh, however long they're here in Buffalo. It, you know, I think of a number of those amenities that you become accustomed to having at newer build ballparks, especially in the minor leagues. When you don't have them in your travels, you realize it more so than playing without it. Um, and, and for a Blue Jay perspective, when you have the... Um, Baseball, baseball Taj Mahal down the street here and the, the investment into sports science, uh, a lot of hydrotherapy, a lot of, you know, ability to work on anything strength and conditioning wise, let alone just the overall space and amenities that the Blue Jays put thought into in developing the player development complex. Uh, it could be perhaps a little jarring. You know, when you go from it, it's like the downsides, you know, if you were to go from a five bedroom house into a one bedroom apartment, you know, it's a significant change. And for me, that five bedroom house is on the other side of Dunedin. And, you know, with all the amenities and all the space and all the comforts of of what now is really the nerve center for this franchise here in Dunedin, Florida. So they were trying to have less of a bridge in terms of the gap, you know, so they were just trying to narrow everything down with emphasis on making things comfortable for the major league team, but anymore, the AAA roster is not only added insurance, but it's flexed so much that they want these guys 
to have the same ability with whatever they're tasked with doing in a short time or a long time to throw a triple A to be as comfortable as possible. And that comfort level will start right there at Salem Field. You can't wait to see it just in a matter of hours, even from now. So Ben, I appreciate you taking some time today. I appreciate the warm vibes uh, with the Hawaiian shirt. Uh, unfortunately, no Hawaiian shirt Sundays in the broadcast in our, our perspective right now, but hopefully sooner than later and great catching up again. Great catching up, Pat. Hope to see you in downtown Buffalo. Our thanks to Ben for joining us here in the Power Alley. We look forward to catching up with the former voice of the Bisons again very soon. And always love checking in with Ben on social media at BenWag247 for all of his insights into the Toronto Blue Jays on Twitter and other social media platforms. Now it's time for a look back at the week that was for the Buffalo Bisons as they enter play out of Memorial Day 12-10 and 10 on the season, having lost three straight to scranton Wilkesbury. The Bisons are now tied with Lehigh Valley in third place in the division and will host Syracuse coming up this week at Trenton Thunder Ballpark in Trenton, New Jersey, as the Bisons begin a homestand, which will see Syracuse for six days, and then scranton Wilkesbury will make their first trip to Trenton this season. The following week, a 12-game, 14-day homestand for the Bisons in Trenton this coming week. A ballpark that has been very kind to Buffalo this season. The Bisons are 9-3 and three at Trenton Thunder Ballpark this year, and a reason why Buffalo has raced out to a 12-10 and 10 record through the season's first four weeks. As we now move past Memorial Day, Bisons roster now starting to take shape with some of the young players that are making their name for themselves in a Bison uniform, including Kevin Smith, who has now 16 RBIs to lead the Bisons this season in 20 games. The prospect has hit 225, increasing his average, and has a team-high five home runs. He's tied with Christian Colon, the veteran who was signed out of independent baseball, leads the team in several offensive categories, including a 377 batting average, 14 RBIs in the process, and also has three stolen bases. Also pitching-wise, after a little bit of a rough start to his season. Jacob Wagaspak now 1-1 one one on the year. 25 strikeouts, just two below Alec Manoa for the team lead. We mentioned Manoa with Ben Wagner, 3-0, a .50 earned run average in 18 innings pitched, three starts, three AAA victories. The first three victories in Manoa's professional career coming with the Bisons this season after making six appearances with Vancouver in 2019. The familiarity with Casey Candell, the Bison manager this season, was also Manoa's manager with Vancouver when the Canadians took the field in 2019. So Manoa acclimating himself to AAA baseball. Jacob Wagaspak back with the herd once again this year, 25 strikeouts. Connor Overton has a sub-1 earned run average in seven appearances, 19 total innings pitched, a 1-0 record for Overton as well. As we mentioned, the Bisons looking up at scranton Wilkesbury in the divisional standings. The Rail Riders are 16-6, entering play on Tuesday, June the 1st, the second month of the season. Worcester in second place, then the Herd tied with Lehigh Valley. Buffalo 12-10 on the year. The Iron Pigs 13-11. Syracuse and Rochester rounding out the Northeast Division. As we look around AAA baseball, Winning streaks are the common theme among the top teams in the other divisions. Nashville is 18-5, and five, entering play in June, riding a 12-game winning streak. And out in the Midwest, an eight-game winning streak for Omaha has the team at 16-7, and seven, three and a half better than St. Paul 
The Saints have won seven in a row as well. And conversely, Indianapolis has lost seven in a row. And Iowa, the Cubs, have lost eight in a row as well. So Omaha and St. Paul, lengthy winning streaks in the Midwest, out to the top two records in the Midwest division. The Bison's lone victory against Scranton Wilkesbury coming in the opening game of the series. Jeremy Beasley is a player who has seen big league time this year with the Blue Jays. He was the 27th man in their weekend series in Cleveland. Beasley started the week with a victory for Buffalo, helping the Bisons out to a 5-2 win. Also, the offense coming through for the herd in a big way. Three balls, two strikes, one down here in the ninth. Pitch hit high into the air towards center field. Florial going back to the warning track, the wall, and this is gone. Kevin Smith, fifth home run of the season. And Buffalo takes the lead in the top half of the ninth inning. Here's the 0-2. Ground ball, that's fair inside the back. Scorched down the left field line. A run's going to score. They'll send a second runner to the plate. No. The break's put on. Warmoth stopped at third. Gratterall into second. It's an RBI base hit. Three balls, two strikes, two down. A look at third. Payoff. Bounces in, skips past the plate, and the wild pitch is going to bring in a run on ball four. 5-2 was the final. The Bisons collecting their 12th win of the season at the time, 12-7. and seven. However, they would not win another game in the weekend against scranton Wilkesbury, as there were only four out of the scheduled six games played between the two teams. They'll make up the two rain-postponed games later on in the season. After the 5-2 win over scranton Wilkesbury in the opening game of the series. A rain-suspended game happened the next day with Buffalo up 2 to nothing over Scranton-Wilkesbury through three innings of play. Nate Pearson would take over for Buffalo in what was a relief appearance, but because the game was resumed in the fourth inning and played to nine innings, Pearson able to go through his normal routine as if he was starting the day. Unfortunately for Pearson, saddled with all four runs in a 4-2 buys and loss and the first defeat of the year for Pearson in a Bison's uniform. That was followed up by a 7 inning contest where scranton Wilkesbury would eke out a 3-2 win over Buffalo. Casey Lawrence, a great story with the Bisons, signed as a free agent who is set to play independent baseball this year, has spent previous seasons in Buffalo, now appearing in a game for Buffalo in his fifth season, made the start in the nightcap of that twin bill in scranton Wilkesbury on May the 27th, a 3-2 loss. Lawrence taking the defeat in that game. After a postponement on Friday, scranton Wilkesbury once again one-run winners over Buffalo. 3-2 to two was the final on Saturday despite a great offensive day by Christian Cologne. 3-for-5 at the plate for Buffalo, but the Herd unable to scratch across what would be the game-tying or winning run. 3-2 defeat on Saturday, sending Buffalo to a 12-10 and 10 record, and then a postponement again on Sunday with rain in the area around Musick, PA, unable to play against the Rail Riders in the finale of the series. These two teams will meet again later in the season. Just one more trip for Buffalo into Scranton-Wilkesbury this season. That will come later on in the year. The Bisons get set to host Syracuse in the season's second month of the year. Buffalo scheduled to have Anthony Kay on a Major League Rehab assignment. The left-hander was supposed to start on Sunday afternoon at Scranton-Wilkesbury due to a blister on the fourth digit of his left hand. And Kay, despite that postponement, still scheduled to make an appearance for Buffalo this week on his way back to the big leagues. Following the six-day series with Syracuse, 
Buffalo will have the league-wide off day on Monday, June the 7th. That's the next time we'll talk to you as we get you set for the Scranton-Wilkesbury series as Buffalo will take on the Rail Riders for six straight days, June the 8th through the 13th at Trenton Thunder Ballpark. Until then, we'll talk to you next time here in the Power Alley. I'm Pat Malacaro.